and bread wheats, those are hexaploid wheats, um, that's a very, very large genome. So if we're to compare it to people, we have about 2.5 billion nucleotides or base pairs of DNA in our body. Bread wheat has 17 billion. So it's five times more complex, roughly more complicated, larger than, than a human genome. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Growing Point podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. So we hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. So today we are chatting with Dr. Richard Cuthbert. And we're chatting about wheat stem sawfly resistance. Cuthbert is a bread wheat and durum breeder in Swift Current. Uh, he did his PhD at the University of Manitoba in plant breeding, molecular genetics, and plant pathology. He leads the bread wheat breeding program for agriculture and agri-food Canada in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. He's authored around 100 research papers and has co-developed close to 30 spring wheat and durum cultivars, including wheatland, Brandon, Viewfield, Eli, and Penhold. And his program also focuses on wheat stem sawfly resistance, which we're here to chat about today. So with the plethora, Richard, of, of challenges we deal with when producing bread wheat uh, and durum wheat in Western Canada, you know, season length, quality, pests, drought, um, how are these priority areas um, of your breeding program determined and, and what does that mean for the funding mechanisms that support your program? Yeah, I'd say number one is farmers. They've been uh, honed over uh, years, decades of uh, funding programs. Um, we don't get funding to do work unless it aligns with the priorities of producers and in the industry. <clears throat> and typically it's only on uh, short term blocks unfortunately so breeding is very long term and it's unfortunately quite expensive to do um so uh, yeah we need to have a very focused goal and outcome in the program or or you won't get there um, and there are a lot of challenges on the prairies so we can't ignore a number of those traits that you mentioned uh or the variety just won't be successful so when you say short-term blocks, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, uh, a, a typical breeding cycle takes a good 10 years from crossing to commercial production by farmers. Um, and there's parts of that that we can speed up, but there's parts that we just can't. And a lot of the funding blocks uh, are, tend to be three to five years in length. So most of the breeding spans more than one source of funding. Um, and getting that uh, continuity can be challenging. So when you see maybe Saskatchewan growers or Alberta growers saying, you know, we really want you know more more grain protein or better resistance to this pest, you know that triggers you to put in for funding applications and and start a breeding line or a direction to to resolve that. Is that how that works? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we we try to anticipate as much as we can. Um, what those challenges are going to be 10 years from now. So I was just creating a crossing program uh, for, for a summer crossing block uh, that we'll plant later this month. And uh, I need to anticipate what those challenges are going to be in the next seven to 10 years when, when those lines hit 
the registration testing and uh, farmers fields, sea grower fields. Uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about 2030 to 2035, really. So it's, it's a long-term thing. Yeah. Trying to foresee the needs that far ahead must be uh, uh, quite the challenge. So these these crossing blocks that you're developing are these are these the initial crosses for kind of a, a new breeding line? Is that is that what that is? Yeah, we've divided the program on the breadwheat side into three different areas. So uh, we have the solid stem material that's for wheat stem sawfly resistance, and they tend to be unique uh, germplasm pools. And then we have the main part of the program that's the bulk of it, and that's hollow stem CWRS variety developments. So those view fields, wheatlands, Brandon type varieties. And then we also have a CPS side of the program where, where the penholds came out of. And we've tended to use that side of the program for more diverse crossing. Uh, it kind of... Uh, um, takes the reins off a bit. You can push yield more and we can make wider crosses than we normally would have. Um, things that wouldn't fit in a CWRS cross, we just know that you wouldn't get a variety out of them. Um, we use it as a stepping stone to be able to bring in diversity and move that, uh, you know, the advanced lines that come out of that, hopefully varieties in the high yield CPS class, they become parents in the CWRS side of the program. So it's it's a stepping stone to incorporate the diversity and then move it into the, the premium CWRS market class. You know, this is one of the questions I, I kind of wanted to ask in terms of, of what actual, how crossing actually works when seeking a, a, a priority, right? <clears throat> um, you, you, when you're crossing, you're looking for to capture a kind of a broad category of characteristics. But as you move through that breeding program, there's going to be other characteristics that you're going to, you wouldn't have necessarily made initial crosses with the intention of extracting, but you end up catching through the net of looking through that breeding program. So how do you decide which characteristics um, need to be a function of that main cross versus what characteristics or quality characteristics of that of the that breeding line you're going to be looking for down the line. One of the strengths is we're crossing multiple times every year. So we're building um, a lot of the crosses that we uh, that we do and we select through and we we get advanced lines out of. They ended up in our advanced testing and they will have deficiencies unfortunately but we've we've fixed a lot of traits so when we go to cross uh, you know a, a re in recent memory in my lifetime fusarium head blight became a, a major problem on the prairies and uh, you look at the material that's being grown across canada at that time in the 90s ac berry had some resistance it was kind of an intermediate resistance type a lot of things were quite susceptible, like CDC teal and, and others, a, a lot were susceptible. So they went and they looked for what sources of resistance were there. And it went back to quite diverse materials. So they started to cross with things out of uh, Asian sources that were not adapted to Canada, didn't have the end use profile that we were looking for. Uh, and they made those crosses and they went through multiple cycles of crossing to incorporate FHB resistance. But then you lose other things along the way, like um, 
flower yield or gluten strength or ash content in the flower or falling number becomes an issue or they're kind of trade-offs there's push and pulls on all these traits as you incorporate new genes and you lose genes that were good in in the material so every time you make a cross you blow everything up and then you've got to kind of reconstitute where you were and get back to it so that, that's the bulk of my time, really. The early generation trials, all the plots you see, these big disease nurseries for every trait. It's really trying to get back to where we were and then find the ones that are better. And then those become the building block and the next crossing blocks uh, to further build on. So, um, you know, we still haven't hit R's, resistant types for Fusarium head blight. Uh, we've gotten to MR. MR is now the standard in CWRS. And, <clears throat> you know, when I started in 2011, uh, Carberry was one of the better FHB resistant lines that was available. And we don't grow Carberry anymore. You know, a little over a decade later, Brandon, uh, Starbuck, Hockley, Wheatland, those those have become the new standards um, in a lot of ways for the, for that trade. But we've used those for crossing and just setting up advanced tests for this year, the registration testing. We have lines in there already that have used lines, varieties like Wheatland that came out in 2017. They're already, a, there's progeny from them in the registration tests. So it's, it's cyclical um, and it builds on itself. And that's really one of the big strengths of breeding is we're able to improve so many traits at a time. The negative of it is, I said at the start, it's expensive. It's because you need these plots, disease nurseries, and use quality testing every single year. So once you stop testing for something, that's when you lose it, and that's when it becomes a problem. So you've got to keep your eye on every trait. I mean, just sitting in in PGDC over the last few years is I've kind of gotten to understand the the registration system and all the trialing and what it actually takes to bring a variety to registration and then even have it accepted by the separate committees, the amount of work that goes into um, getting a variety to that point to then even be purchased by a seed company. And then the potential, like if, if it gets purchased by a seed company, and then what are the chances of it capturing a large percentage of acres? Because 80% of the acres are captured by 20% of, of the varieties. Really, you realize the, um, the complexity of the system and the amount of people involved and the amount of time it takes to build to build comparisons between these varieties moving forward. It's, it's a rather impressive program. And, um, you know, I'd love any producer to be able to sit there and, and um, learn in PGDC, all the, all the effort that goes into bringing some of these varieties to, uh, to market, um, you know, talking about that, um, those kind of, when you mentioned with Fusarium head blight, you talked about pulling from, very different um, genetic lines from Asia and, and and kind of looking to capture maybe that specific characteristic by looking at a broad, a broad, dif uh, broad genetics. Um, you know, can we pull that maybe back to wheat stem sawfly and where we stand at this point with wheat stem sawfly? Are we, 
are we working with honed in genetics that we know we can we can tweeze out from or do we think that maybe there's genetics that we need to pull from you know outside sources to to find um solid stem varieties that also meet the quality and yield characteristics that we're looking for in western canada right now yeah and that's another good question so we do have those building blocks or those uh, uh varieties that we've um uh, that we've had in the past uh for wheat stem sawfly um so we're, we're the mode of resistance for wheat stem sawfly is a solid stem, so pith expression within the stem. Um, that sounds very easy, uh, but it's fairly complicated. Um, so to go way back in the research, um, in bread wheats, uh, those are hexaploid wheats, um, it's a very, very large genome. So if we're to compare it to people, we have about 2.5 billion nucleotides or base pairs of DNA in our body. Bread wheat has 17 billion. So it's five times more complex, roughly, um, more complicated, larger than, than a human genome. So, so that's complicated on its own. Now, if we compare it to Durham, Durham is what we call a tetraploid, so it's 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 a third less genetics. So something that we haven't had until fairly recently was solid stem Durham. So farmers do have access to a lot of solid stem Durhams right now that are are resistant to wheat stem sawfly. Uh, I think AAC Raymore was the first one, and and there's others AAC Stronghold and some others. Um, it was relatively easier in Durham's. You might say, well, why? And this is where all the research goes into it before we even really get to breeding. Um, there's a major gene, so we call it SST1. And uh, Dr. Curtis Posniak's group has done a lot of work on this on this gene. So it's on chromosome 3B, if, you're, if it's of interest. Um, uh, and... Dr. Curtis Posniak and Dr. Kirby Nielsen, who's now the oat breeder at Brandon with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, they, they did a lot of work. I think this was part of Kirby's PhD project. So they looked at this locus, this gene called SST1 in Durham's and in breadweeds. And in Durham's, if you have it, it's like a light switch. You know, it's a qualitative trait. It's on and off. So if you have the gene in it, you have solid stems, completely solid, top to bottom. It's, uh, I'm quite jealous. In bread wheats, a lot of our genetics were built on SST1 as well. It goes back to Lillian. Lillian would be a, a, a very well-known CWRS uh, variety prior to about 2015. So it had become the most widely grown wheat in Western Canada. Um and it was popular for a few reasons, but uh, when wheat class modernization happened, it, it kind of uh, it got demoted to CNHR, and it's not really growing anymore. So it didn't have what I would consider a completely solid stem compared to a Durham like AAC Raymore or AAC Stronghold. They both have that gene SST1. We can show that, but the phenotype or what we see isn't the same. So you say, why? 
<laughs> and, and we wondered, we puzzled about this for quite some time. We did know that light intensity can change things. Um, it could, ex could alter the amount of pith expression. Um, but Kirby was able to show that these genes between Durham and bread wheat were the same. And it looked like it was a uh, difference in what we call copy number variation. So at that gene, SST1, um, essentially you just have more copies of this gene. So that area, that's, <laughs> we're getting into the weeds here, but uh, you have more copies of that gene, so you're getting more product from it. So the gene ultimately becomes a protein that does things in the plant. So you just have more copies. <laughs> and the more copies you have, the better the effect you have, is essentially what they showed. So in Durham, you have a third less uh, of the genome. And it seems in that background, that's sufficient to get a better phenotype or better better pith expression. When you put it in bread wheat, we just don't seem to see exactly the same. So uh, there are some CWS varieties. Uh, CDC Landmark uh, is one of the more popular ones, and it has that gene SST1. We call it a partial solid. So it's about 50% solidness in the stem if you were to cut it with a knife and look at it. So that's a building block. That's something we can use for crossing. Um, other things that came out, we had a line uh, from our program in about 2014 called AC Concord. And it was clearly better than Lillian at the time uh, for yield, um, FHB resistance especially. Um, and it was completely solid top to bottom in the stem. Like you cut anywhere, it's solid. So it, it was a it was a great uh, great it was great we were very excited about it. So we got support to register it, and that's when the wheat class modernization happened. So Concord was deemed to be borderline on gluten strength, slightly soft kernel, and the water absorption of the dough was down a little bit. So for the consistency of CWRS, they said it doesn't fit. So. Yeah, so I went back to the drawing board and we looked at this and we needed a Concord that had better end use quality. So I think I said before, when you make a cross, everything goes out the window. Where do we get CWRS quality from? <laughs> from those Brandons, Wheatlands, uh, all these advanced, uh, high yielding, high performance CWRS that are hollow stems. So we're just trying to put the solid stem genes in a Wheatland or a brand. And it sounds easy, but it's not. Meiosis, a recombination that happens when you cross two lines together is a real challenge. So we've done it now. Is is this is this uh, gene drag? Would you consider this gene drag where we're, we're trying to capture this gene and it's causing impacts to other yeah other quality factors that, that, you know, this is a typical case we're dealing with and we're looking for the right combinations to avoid that gene drag. Is that what we're seeing? Essentially, the gene drag, linkage drag. So you have pieces of a chromosome. You've got 21 chromosomes on bread wheat. And that gene, SST1, and we know there's another one on 3D that looks quite similar to SST1. Uh, there's regions of the chromosome around it that you just don't get crossovers with or, or 
you get them, uh, they're more rare. So you need larger populations. And that's just for solids down. You need all the end use quality traits. You need you need FHB resistance to be registered. You need at least intermediate resistance for FHB. You want to have a competitive yield um, and all those other agronomics that go with it. You don't want it to lie down on the ground. So you, you need some straw strength and all, all these other things. So you're juggling a lot of traits, trying to just put these two or three targeted solid stem pieces of chromosome in and trying to preserve the brand and type on the other side. And it, it, that's that's the real challenge in breeding. So <laughs> we didn't have a lot of soft fly pressure when we were doing this um, in the mid 2010s, 2014 to 17. Um, something that we did is we went, uh, kind of went backwards and we, we went back to research. So I made a cross of uh, CDC Hughes, that's a sister of CDC Landmark. They're similar. And we crossed that to Concord. You say, wow, you know, why did you do that? It's a partially solid stem with a solid stem. So what it allowed us to do is uh, after Curtis and Kirby's work on SST1, we knew that was in common between those two parents. So it was fixed in the progeny. So whatever else was segregating was what we really wanted. So we made a controlled population. We did uh, what we call genotyping. So all the lines that were de derived, we looked at each of them. We had a genetic profile for each of those lines. And we could say, we, we went and cut them all. We rated the stem solidness in every single line. And then we looked at them and said, you know, this one's solid. This one's hollow, on and on and on for a couple hundred of them. And then we could compare the genetics of each of those lines and say, this is where that loci is or this gene is that we're interested in. Then we develop markers for it so we could easily select for it. So this is marker assisted selection that you'll hear a lot about or mass. So then we made lots of crosses and we went into them and did this mass with Dr. Ron Knox in the office next door here at Swift Current. He runs the biotech program here and we've, uh, we've done a lot of that breeding work with marker-assisted selection to help us enrich the populations for those solid stems. And then we're able to better our odds at finding those that have the, you know, the brand and wheatland agronomics and juice quality. And we're close now. We have uh, quite a few lines that are in advanced testing and three that are in registration testing this coming year. And they seem to fit the CWRS market class and we're getting improvements in those, you know, FHB resistance, uh, better yield, better protein, all those things that we're looking for. It's, uh, I mean, just listening to you talk about the amount of different parties that are involved in developing not just the knowledge, but working through the breeding program and the marker assisted selection. And I think you said in 2010s, this is when you know, you really started to work on trying to resolve this this challenge, and maybe there wasn't as much wheat stem sawfly pressure at that point. Um, but you've been into this now for almost a decade with um, multiple different research partners. It, it, it takes a lot of work and effort to get to this point. It was a good challenge in hindsight. Uh, 
the solid stems, uh, it's typically an issue. Wheat stem softfly is typically an issue in the Palliser Triangle, so the brown soil zone. Um, historically, uh, the solid stem varieties were tested in a registration test called the Western Breadweed Sea. That's more to the Western prairies where wheat stem softfly is an issue, and they typically had checks uh, that those solid stems would be compared against. So um, when wheat class modernization happened and they were looking to improve consistency of that market class across the prairies, it really pushed us to uh, that those, those solid stem lines didn't have to kind of meet a Lillian anymore. They had to meet the higher performing CWRSs because you wanted that consistency in production across the prairies. So uh, it, it pushed us, you know, we weren't anticipating having to do quite that big a change, uh, but having access to, uh, you know, groups like Curtis Posniak and Kirby Nielsen that uh, have more capacity to look at um, the more upstream side of um, uh, the, the genetics uh, controlling those traits and uh, the rollout of the wheat genome sequence at the time, it was a big help. Um, and we had the right populations available at the right time to make use of those new tools. So um, when the wheat, uh, the fully annotated wheat genome sequence was released in 2018, um, we had a we had a population that was actually used for it that helped to figure out the role of SST1 and how that gene, that locus, was conferring solidness. So a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, and a lot of these advances, um, like DNA sequencing, you know, you'll, you, you'll hear press releases of the wheat genome sequences available, and even even back then, I was you, know, you kind of say, what, what, what does it mean to farmers? Um, you know, it doesn't have a direct application, really, but there there are a lot of traits that are being better understood now. And uh, it kind of gives us some aha moments of how we can better use uh, some of the other tools with that to 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 get to better varieties, ultimately, that are in farmers fields. Well, I think, you know, my one question on this is, okay, so, you know, maybe we've gotten to a point where there's a CWRS quality potential variety um, that may come to registration here potentially. And, and you know, let me know if I'm speaking too, uh, too far along on this. But, um, you know, if we are at that point, does that mean that, potentially in the short term future, we could see more CWRS varieties stemming from that previous foundation of research. You know, this isn't a one-off, this is a step forward that will allow us to better develop more, because one, one variety is great, it gets us further than where we were in terms of CWRS and, and wheat stem sawfly, but you know, having a few options for those producers who are looking for different characteristics apart from wheat stem softly, does it put us into a position to to more easily develop additional varieties to fit that need as well? Yes. Yeah. The short answer is yes. Um, 
I talked about germplasm pools a little bit before. And if you were to do uh, DNA fingerprinting on some of the varieties like a Brandon or a Viewfield, they'd be relatively distinct, depending relatively. <laughs> so if you were to compare to Brazil or something, they'd be very different. Uh, but within Canada, Brandon and Viewfield, I consider reasonably different uh, uh, pedigrees. So there's some different genetics in there. So once we start to put solid stem uh, uh, trait into backgrounds like uh, Brandon, uh, Wheatland, Viewfield, and you get to a CWRS quality, uh, you can start to cross within these. And they're you may not think there's a lot of diversity there, but there is for some traits. So we will start to see some improvements in that way. So once you start to fix traits within germplasm pools, um, they don't become as much of a, I guess, drag. Um, they're not as large a focus in the selection scheme. So uh, yeah, you don't, you don't, you'll start to see better rates of genetic gain uh, within that crossing. So there's always that, like, there's that hurdle to get over <laughs> to get those traits in to begin with. And once you have that base to work from, it gets so much easier. Just like right now, we talked about Fusarium head blight before. Now that you've got those MRs, <clears throat> you know, the Starbucks and Hockley's crossing and getting back to that MR isn't nearly as hard. But when you were crossing with MSs and Is, Essentially, what Durham's going through right now with Fusarium head blight resistance, trying to incorporate it, uh, they've gotten to eyes now like AEC Schrader, uh, Curtis Posniak had a line supported DT1024. When you get those uh, building blocks there and you can go back to them and use those for a lot of crossing, you build off that again and it, it becomes much easier. So, talked about a few traits, not just uh, solid stem for wheat stem sawfly, but a lot of the breeding, you know, it's a trait. <laughs> you have, you identify germplasm that has the trait that you want, and then you make the crosses and you come up with the selection strategy. There's a lot of common things between uh, breeding for various traits. So it's a, yeah. It's it's good news for, for producers because, I mean, short of all of a sudden our falls becoming high moisture, um, you know, we, we're, we're in a cycle of, of wheat stem sawfly challenges and um, it's continuing to grow. Producers can implement management practices to, to mitigate the impacts. Um, but it really, to, to combat this challenge, it really requires a combination of genetics and management practices to, to mitigate the impact. Um, so to hear that, you know, potentially we're, we're maybe in a, in a better direction um, for mitigating those challenges is, is good news for producers. So, um, you know, personally, thank you. And, and I'm sure the producers are, are, are glad to hear that too. And, and hopefully, um, you know, that, that registration does come to fruition. Um, you know, there's one, there's one topic that I kind of wanted to poke you about Richard before we ended here. Um, and that was, you know, the conversation around, solid stem and semi-solid stem um, and what this means to producers and what this means to our conversation because uh, you know there's a, there's a few semi-solid stem varieties available and and you know maybe some are being utilized to help mitigate the impacts but 
Um, how does this kind of tie into um, maybe what you're currently working on in terms of closely registered varieties, how they rate in that, and maybe how producers should perceive semi versus uh, fully solid stem varieties? It's a good question. Uh, I wondered the same thing when I started in 2011 and uh, took over some of that breeding effort. Um, I spent a lot of time in August splitting stems in the field and looking at them and going, you know, you come up with scales, uh, one to five or one to ten, you know, one being hollow, two being a thicker uh, uh, stem wall, ten being very solid and, and everything in between. So you come up with these scales and, and you do all this rating. And uh, especially in the winter nursery, we spend a lot of time uh, 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 selecting for the most solid in the populations. And uh, we've seen a uh, resurgence of wheat stem sawfly the last few years. So Lethbridge dry land, uh, Dr. Brian Barris grows plots for us. Um, I went out in 2021 and it was devastating. I, I hadn't seen sawfly in person in my career. I mean, I you read about it, you see the models, you see the pictures, but to see... Um, thousands of our wheat lines in the field on dry land in a drought, severe drought in 2021 with wheat stem sawfly layered on top of that. As a breeder, it was phenomenal. I didn't have to split any stems. The wheat stem sawfly did it all for me. I could just walk by the plots and say, done, <laughs> those are bad. Uh, so you're talking about partial solid stems. I got to see uh, some of these lines and what partial solid stem meant. So they're better than Brandon. Brandon would be flat. I mean, it's a hollow stem CWRS. It's flat. It's one out of five is what I was calling it. Uh, the partial solid stems, there was some significant cutting within them, but I called them like a three out of five. They were intermediate. Some stems aren't cut, some are. Uh, Concord, uh, AC Concord, it is very solid stemmed. It's five out of five. Uh, it, it wasn't cut. So I have pictures of all these as well if you're interested. But uh, yeah, even lines like uh, Lillian, they did have significant cutting in them. And that is based on that gene that we talked about, SST1. So we really want to get to that fully solid. But one of the interesting things is... Um, AC view field. It's it has been a check in the registration test for CWRS market classification. It's a hollow stem. It does not get cut as bad as Brandon. It's like a, it's it's equivalent to the partial solid stems, but it does not have pith expression. So there is more work to be done on why this is the case. Um, I have some theories. I do think it has it's related to node diameter and I think the larvae when it's feeding within the stem before it moves down at the end of the season to girdle the stem I don't think the larvae is able to get through all the nodes uh, well so uh, it does seem to be a different mechanism um, I have noticed it in some of our other advanced lines that are uh, shorter semi-dwarfs um, but not Brandon <laughs> Brandon gets cut very badly 
So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. And I, I don't have an answer for that. I, I was talking to Tyler West actually this morning about it. it, it so the, the node, which um, would be that that little ring collar in between the two internodes, um, the circumference of the hole in which that that larvae needs to move through, are you saying it might be that it's just too narrow but, to actually get through? So it could be a separate gene expression yeah. causing that. Yeah. Um, and, and unless, it's an, the, in, yeah, interesting. unless there's something else like, uh, I mean, these are all theories and a lot of research would be needed, but. You know, wheat stem or uh, orange wheat blossom midge. There's ferulic acid that it feeds on in the kernel, and it, it kills the larvae. Could that be happening within the stem? Because that larvae is feeding in the stem on the plant. Um, is something like that happening? I I don't know. Uh, I just know that it's been noted consistently, and I'm not the only one to have noted it in some of these fields. So. Um, I don't want people to be really complacent with it and think that I can just grow view field and that will be be okay. But uh, it's definitely better than Brandon and just as good as partially solid from what I've seen in in uh, heavily infested areas like Lethbridge uh, near Pence, Saskatchewan as well. So. That's interesting. I mean, I I won't be making any direct recommendations <laughs> to you yeah. as it as a yeah. wheat stem sawfly management tool, but. Um, you know, if producers can kind of take that as as they may, but um, interesting because you know it could be an in between tool like some of these semi solid varieties that we have for for CWRS, um, but it also could be kind of a, a pathway to a more strengthened management system in the future for for wheat stem sawfly as well. Uh, Richard, we're gonna have to finish up here. We've been chatting for a good forty minutes. Um, so I do greatly appreciate the time. Is there anything else you wanted to share uh, before we finished up? I don't think so. That, that was a pretty, uh, we, we covered a lot of topics there. So uh, yeah, if anyone has any interest, I'm always willing to talk about breeding and genetics and the intricacies with it. So yeah. Well, we can we can share your information in the, in the show notes uh, if you want and, and people can reach out to you if they desire. But um, Again, I appreciate the time and uh, look forward to the next time chatting. Thanks for listening to the Growing Point Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a second to rate, review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to Alberta Wheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.